0: Obviously, that uh, those were pictures from our Mexico mission trip. Uh, we have a, a partner relationship with the Baptist Church down in Tehuacan, Mexico, uh, the Ebenezer Baptist Church, and our church uh, will go down there twice a year. And uh, those are just a few pictures of the recent trip down there. If you're interested in being a part of our mission uh, teams that go down there, just make sure you're in touch with one of our one of our pastors. Folks, my name is John Bailey. I'm the chairman of the Personnel Committee, and um, I just wanted to come up here and make sure, um, uh, just to take care of a couple of things, and introduce our guest speaker today. Uh, many of you know that Dr. Marshall is our interim pastor. There are occasions when he cannot be with us, he and Ruthie, so they are out for a couple of Sundays. And um, uh we've uh, enlisted a special guest speaker today to fill the pulpit and we're excited about that before i introduce him let me just say one thing real quick i know many of you have asked well uh why can't we just have pastor michael come up and fill the pulpit and that's a great question and i just wanted to answer that uh in a couple of ways first of all uh i would say the answer is uh for clarity you know our pastor search team is really seeking God's will and they are um, they are doing their best to 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 seek clarity from God and sometimes if you fill the pulpit with potential candidates you can create a little bit of um, um, you know unclear-ness if I can create a word Um, so what we're trying to do is honor that search process and keep the interim times where um, people will fill the pulpit and will not be considered as senior pastor, that's sort of the reason why we have an interim, and uh, we're going to use a supply uh, person every now and then, and it's really trying to honor the work of our search team. But second of all, I think we we realize that uh, we're placing a heavy workload on our pastors. They've all done a tremendous job. Uh, number one on that list is Pastor Michael, obviously, and. Um, while uh, it, may, uh, it may not be much, we just wanted to take one thing off of his plate and uh, have him not uh, worry about filling the pulpit during this time and continue to be our staff coordinator and lead our team and making sure that our church is, uh, is uh, functioning well. And uh, we just want to bring a little bit of balance to, uh, to, to his life right now. So today we have a special guest speaker uh, his name is Dwayne Hoffman, and uh, he comes highly recommended from Dr. Marshall. So we, we've we already heard him this morning. This is, uh, is going to be a good time for us to be together. Uh, Dwayne serves on the staff down at Second Baptist Church uh, in Springfield. He's the pastor of Families and Leadership Development. He's been there about four or five years now. Uh, his wife Amy is here, and we're welcoming her. They have a lovely family, and... Um, uh, Dwayne has a varied background. He was in the business world for a while, uh, served as a pastor, and even served on the mission field in China for a few years. And uh, of course, now he's uh, he's down in Springfield, originally from this area, and now back in this area. So, Dwayne, we're glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, let's
1: welcome Dwayne. Yes. Well, good morning. It's a great uh, great honor and privilege for me to be with you today. Dr. Marshall is a close friend, and so we miss him, but I uh, enjoyed very much working alongside of him. I was kind of laughing that he's up here as an interim, and now I'm the interim for the interim. And so, man, it's like we're going third string here, people, but, but that's okay. But I had the privilege to work alongside of him for a few years down in Springfield, and, and he's just a great man. So you've got a treasure with Dr. Uh, Marshall and Miss Ruth. They're just uh, great people, and and we miss them. But uh, he told me that you all are great people as well. He said, you're going to have a great time at Riverview. He said, man, just go up there and let them love on you. And you're going to love on them. And you're going to have a great time. So you can probably imagine hearing saying that and, as well. It's a great privilege to be here. My, uh, I'm glad my wife could come with me today. Our children are not able to come. Our, we've got a big family. I've got five kids. And uh, I have four sons. Two are married. And one is uh, in college. As a matter of fact, he just uh, signed up for the Air Force last week and uh, I have another son. My youngest son is in high school, and then we have a, a little girl that uh, we adopted from China when we lived in China, and so they're all in Springfield serving at Second Baptist today, and we're not all able to be here, but I'm glad my wife could j- come be with us and, as well, but um, as John said, my family uh, has had a, and my life has been a somewhat diverse background because a uh, I started out here in the Ozarks, and uh, God eventually moved me to Ocala, Florida, and I pastored a church in Ocala, and uh, then God moved us all the way to the Orient, and I lived in China for a while, our family did, and I taught English at a university, um, so that it would give us opportunity to be there and serve in a, in a unique way, and um, then God brought us back to the Ozarks again, and today, here I am in Osage, so what do you know, I, we just make the circles, but anyway, God uh, God's been good to us, and today I... I don't want to come here to just share my personal stories with you, but I want to share with you a journey of faith that all of us go on. And uh, maybe all of you can relate to this, of those moments in your life where everything was seemingly trucking right along at a pretty normal pace. And matter of fact, your schedule, your plan, your way of life was in order. And then all of a sudden the phone call came, an email came, something happened that immediately threw you into a storm. And we're going to look at this passage today in Mark chapter 4. In your Bible, if you'd like to turn, follow along with me, Mark chapter 4. It's a very familiar story, I'm sure, if you've been around church very long. But this passage ministers to me often. And even this week, I will tell you that uh, I had planned already to, pr- to preach about this. Matter of fact, I talked to Michael and kind of gave him a game plan of, of what I was thinking and making sure that was okay inconsistent with maybe what's been happening here and he said yeah that'll be great not realizing that what god was setting me on course for was to study something that i'm going to live and so i no more got settled into this passage and a storm blew up in my own life where an email came that was totally unexpected that is going to create a lot of difficulty for me i think um a lot of challenges on, and think this is things that are happening around the world for where we used to live, and it's gonna, creating some big difficulties. And so it creates sleepless nights sometimes. Sometimes you lose your appetite. You know those moments in life where things get super complicated, and you don't know where this is going, and you have no idea how it's going to end. Quite frankly, you wonder if you're even going to make it. And, um, but God knows. And that's why I wanted to share this passage with you today, because the disciples of Christ are all living this reality. They've been following Jesus for some time. They've observed him do some cool things, and now Jesus is teaching. And so, a matter of fact, the crowd pressed in so tight on Jesus that he, that he got on a boat and asked him to push the boat back away from the shoreline a little ways, and he was able to then speak to the masses using, I believe, the water as amplified sound. It was really cool, but, but that way he could speak to the masses very well. He gets finished with his teaching at that end of that day, and he, he lets the disciples know now we're, we're going to the other side. And that's where we pick up this story, is in the book of Mark, chapter 4, verse 35. It says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left, he had, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And then he arose, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? And how is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Well, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? I want to point out some principles maybe that we can follow today because it's possible that somebody in this room is going through a storm. Maybe you just came through one, a storm of life. And I hate to say it, but if you're not in one now, there's probably one brewing coming. Because that's just the way things are in this world. And as a matter of fact, first principle I want to share with you, and that is the fact that storms are inevitable. Storms of life are inevitable. Why? Because it originates with sin, because of sin entering into the world, has created calamity and lifetime for all of us. And matter of fact, in the book of Job, chapter fourteen, it says, "Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble." And the fact is, is that we are all going to have difficulty and have trouble. Matter of fact, Jesus affirmed this truth to us before he ever went to the cross. He spoke to the disciples and told them that uh, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But he was speaking to that in the manner of peace. Yeah, you don't need to be afraid and have peace here because I have overcome the world. And they will soon see that and, and as, the, as he went to the cross and then eventually resurrected. But the principle I want us to capture first today is that storms are inevitable. You can't dodge it. No matter what you do to try to dodge storms in your life, you cannot dodge all the storms that are coming. In a matter of moments, the phone rings and life changes, and it could be from the doctor, it could be from a relative, it could be from your boss, it could be anywhere. Instantly, you were in a storm. You didn't sign up for that. And storms are not respecters of persons. In the same way blessings come upon all the just and the unjust, it rains on everybody, the sun shines on the head of the just and the unjust alike. Well, storms are the same. Storms impact people who are Christ followers, who are devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, in the same way storms are a great impact on those who don't know Jesus yet. And it's, storms are inevitable. They're no respecter of persons. The second principle we can learn from this is that storms come, in the like in the disciples' case, even when you're obedient. It's not like this storm came because they were not listening to Jesus. He told them, let's go to the other side. The evening had come, and it's time to move on. And so he said, let's go. They obeyed. They pushed off, set the sails, let's roll. And they went to the other side. So they were living in a position of obedience, but now this storm brews up, and obviously they believe they're going to die in the middle of it. They can't imagine they're going to survive this thing, and so it's so significant and so instantaneous in their life, but yet they were still living in obedience. I learn in Scripture that God, God allows storms, Matter of fact, oftentimes they're called tribulations. They're called trials. They come in all different packages. They come in different sizes. They come in different colors. In fact, the book of 1 Peter speaks, matter of fact, the whole book speaks about suffering as a Christ follower. The Christ followers in Peter's day were dispersed. And he writes to them a letter of encouragement in the midst of all their suffering and to let them know that even when you suffer as a Christ follower, God's allowing that in your life, but he's accomplishing perfect things with it. He's, he's purifying you and, and forging you like gold and like silver and purifying that like a refiner would do. And I think about the refiner's fire and how a refiner would purify gold or silver. But the way they would do gold is they heat it up they melt it. And they, as, it, as, the, as it begins to boil, the dirt or the impurities of gold begin to come to the surface. The refiner then scrapes that top part off, all the dirt off. It's called the dross. He scrapes the dross and then turns the fire up hotter yet. And the refiner will continue the heat and continue that purification process until he can look into the pool of, of gold, molten gold and see a perfect reflection of himself then he knows it's ready. Well, in the same way, Peter likens the trials that come our way, just like to the refiner, as, as gold and silver. That matter of fact, he said this in 1 Peter 1.7. He said that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it is tried with fire, might be found into the praise and the honor and glory of, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And he likens it to this. But here's what else he said. In the verse preceding, he said that trials come and he he describes them as manifold or diverse or various. So let's just use the word manifold because the word literally means multicolored. And he describes a trial as being multicolored, and the same word he uses later in 1 Peter chapter 4 to describe sufferings and trials and difficulties. And he said that God dispenses the manifold grace of God. So just check, watch this. You have multicolored trials. And for every multicolored trial, God has a multicolored grace to match. Because God walks with you through each of the trials of your life and dispenses the perfect measure of grace at the right moment when you need it. Now, it may not seem like it, and in the disciples' case, the storm blows up and it doesn't feel like it or doesn't seem like it. But that is what God is doing. God is teaching us to lean into Him, and that's what we're going to talk about in just a second here. But sometimes storms happen even when you're walking in total obedience. Sometimes storms come when we're disobedient, and God uses them as a corrective measure. You think of Jonah's life. Jonah gets on the boat running from God in disobedience. God allows a storm to brew. God uses that storm to correct him and ultimately get him where he wants him to be. So whenever a storm comes, you've got to evaluate, okay, what's what's happening here in my life? And I had to do that this week. As a storm brewed up, I have to call time out, take a step back, and say, okay, now, Lord, I want to learn. I want to know you, and I obviously want to experience his grace in the middle of that and trust him one step at a time because, quite frankly, I can't see the next step. Not very well. But I'm asking God to make it clear. But I also had to do a self-evaluation of my own heart to know, am I living in disobedience and is God allowing this storm to reveal a disobedient spirit in me that I didn't see it until God just allowed this storm to happen? Now I can see it clear. And so I have to always ask that question. Well, God does this out of a heart of love for his children. The storm is not designed to wreck you and to ruin you. It exposes sin and exposes things in you to draw you to Jesus. Why does he do this? Because the father loves his children. A loving father corrects his children. Proverbs 3.12 says this, that for whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father um, for the son in whom he delights. Our father delights in us. Our Father corrects us whenever we are disobedient and walking astray. So sometimes the storm, it happens when you're obedient. Sometimes the storm comes when we're disobedient to draw us to Jesus. There's another aspect to the storm part, though, that intrigues me, and that is the other little ships. Look at verse 36 again. It says, Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, because he was already in the boat, and other little boats were also with him. So you've got this small fleet of small boats that are crossing the sea. It's basically a big lake. It's probably about the size of the Lake of the Ozarks, actually. But anyway, and they're crossing this thing, and this storm comes. But here's the deal. There's little boats along with them, and they don't have the same vantage point that the disciples have. The disciples have Jesus in their boat, They're going to eventually, when the storm gets all big and blustery, they're going to watch Jesus stand up and command the sea to be still, and he will do that. They have no clue what's happening. All they know is... We were trucking across the water and, man, this huge storm came. We thought we weren't going to make it. And then all of a sudden, it went quiet. And you can imagine when they got to the other side, the conversation that they were having, like, dude, did you see that? How did you guys make it? That was crazy. And then the disciples would be able to stand there and tell them, here, let me just tell you what happened of how Jesus did this whole thing. So it's probably a great story, but we don't get to see that in the Scripture, so we can only imagine that was what it was like. But can you imagine... Being one of the other little ships, not having a clue what's going on. Well, sometimes maybe you have been that other little ship where the storm that is taking place is maybe not intended for you per se. Now God's using it, but you're the one kind of caught up in, in someone else's storm. You know, I think about this in the business world, which I used to be in, where maybe a man is in a, a boss is living in disobedience. God allows a storm in his life? Maybe he's walking in total obedience, but a storm comes in his life that impacts him personally and financially, and all of a sudden, what's impacting him, it impacts a lot of people simultaneously. I've watched this happen in churches, where a pastor was brought under a a hand of correction of the Lord, and a storm came. Maybe it was a storm came in his life physically. It wasn't for correction at all. It was just a storm that came in his life, and it sent kind of a a shock through all the rest of the ministry because they're the other little ships Do you see how this works and so now all of a sudden there's huge storm and god is accomplishing perfect things simultaneously not only in the lives of the of the disciples who are there witnessing it but even in the other little ships here's one thing i've learned about storms trying to figure out where they're coming from and what their intended purpose is it's probably not even the right answer Because you're going to be sitting there trying to figure this whole thing out and the reality is what Jesus is ultimately getting them to do is learn to lean into Him and learn to just trust Him because He knows exactly what He's doing. Here's something else we learn about storms. Storms will bring you to the end of your ability. In verse 37 it says, A great windstorm arose and waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. They're bailing. They're doing what, what a good seaman would do and that is when a storm comes, you fix your sail a certain way, you prepare yourself, you row hard, you turn the boat to prepare for the waves, and of course, if you need to bail, you bail. But they're doing everything physically they can do when a circumstance like that happens. And you know how that works. The phone rings, you're instantly thrown into a storm, and you kick into gear. You know what to do, but sometimes you find out it's not enough. And you're out of gas quick, and you don't know what actually to do next because you've reached the end of yourself and matter of fact you might even say i think i'm at my wit's end i just don't know what else to do you know it's cool the phrase wit's end is in the bible because god knows we would t- we would say that psalm 107 it appears in scripture in light of a context of a storm check this out 100 psalm 107 verse 23 through the rest it says those who go down to the sea in ships Who do business on great waters, well, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. And they're at their wit's end. There it is. They're at their wit's end. They've done all they can do. Then, I love that word, they have done all they know to do. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brings them out of their distress. He calms the storm so that the waves are still. Then they're glad because they are so quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. And oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. So they did all they knew to do. When the storm came, they kicked into gear and start work, 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 work. And then they reached the point where they're at their wits end, kind of about to pull your hair out. I don't know what to do. Then we cry out to the Lord, and then all of a sudden things go calm. It's like, well, the storm didn't seemingly go away, but my heart sure calmed down because now I know I can just trust the Lord. So here's what happens. This storm led these men to Jesus, which was ultimately what needed to happen here. Verse 38, storms will draw you to Jesus, but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they woke him. They came to him, woke him up, and of course they're going to cry out to him, but here's the best part of this, is it's guiding us in a principle. Jesus totally understands your storm. If you're in the middle of one night right now, he totally gets it. He totally gets it. Matter of fact, scripture teaches us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, that we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of all of our infirmities or our troubles, but instead was all points tempted, just like we are, yet without sin. So Jesus is not so untouchable that he doesn't get it. No, he totally gets it. He knows what it feels like to be betrayed, he knows what it feels like to suffer. He knows what it feels like to suffer loss, significant loss. He understands separation. He understands loneliness. He understands all of those things that we go through that create such anxiety of our soul and, quite frankly, create the anxiety of a storm in our life. He totally understands it. And that same passage of Hebrews says that Jesus totally gets it. And it says, Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And see, we always need help. But here's the point. We, we have Jesus who totally understands and now says, Now, come boldly. Come boldly to me. And when you need help, there's grace. The perfect measure, multicolored grace to match your multicolored trouble. And we can come boldly to him, and the disciples have just learned this. Jesus was asleep on the pillow, which made it also seem like, in the next verse, that he didn't care. In verse 38, when they came to him, they said, Lord, do you not care that we're going to perish? They're up there rowing their arms off, and they're totally worried about the storm overtaking them, and Jesus is asleep. He's not worried one bit. And it seemed to them he doesn't care. And have we ever been in that spot where sometimes the storm made us feel like Jesus doesn't care? And maybe we even say things like that where, you know, I just don't know what the Lord's doing. Or maybe we'll charge God foolishly and say, well, you know what? I just don't understand how a loving God could allow these kind of things to happen to his own kids. And we will charge God and accuse God of doing things foolishly and saying, Lord, you don't care when that is exactly the opposite of true. Because what is actually God is doing here is drawing us to himself. God is accomplishing perfect purposes in our life. I'll talk about it in just a moment. But God is bringing us to the place to trust him. God allowed this storm of these disciples and allowed them to come to the spot they were at their wits end. He allowed it. He was totally at rest. Well, they sure weren't. Does that mean he doesn't care? No, he totally cares. But he had something significant he wanted them to learn in the process of this, and they needed to learn this. They can trust Jesus in the storm. Now, here's the thing I think is hard. Sometimes we might reflect back on a difficult storm of our life that has had significant shaping in our life. In fact, in the last few weeks, I spent a time with a young man that um, had a significant trauma in his past. A storm that is complicated beyond belief and has spent his days really since then I feel like running from that and as we as we talked through that that's exactly what he's done all of these purposes and achievements and everything he's trying to do is to run away from that day because he never wants to face that day again well here's what's cool about it when he finally reached the spot that he would turn around and look back into that day and, and look into where God's grace was at that time, what he was able to do was recognize God allowed something here that was a significant trauma to me, and that is true. Because of this, I have now learned these things about the Lord. And as we started walking down this pathway of what he has learned about Jesus and about his relationship with God, he now has experienced God's manifold grace for all of his manifold trials in ways that are, quite frankly, amazing. And it doesn't all make sense when you're in the middle of it. It's sort of like a rhyme that the last words chopped off. They don't make sense until you put the last word on the rhyme. But once you start seeing the last words start filling in the blank, it's like, oh, I see where you're going there. And that's kind of the way life works. It doesn't make sense when you're in the middle of it, but as you start to look back, oh, okay, I see, I see what God's doing there, and I, I understand, and now I, I know things of the Lord. I didn't know that before. And so, so sometimes storms make it seem like Jesus doesn't care, but that is certainly not the case. Storms also open up our eyes. When they got to Jesus and pled their case... Verse 39 and 40 says, Then he arose, he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful, and how is it that you have no faith? Now we begin to see the problem. We see what Jesus saw all along. They were lacking in faith. Well, what do you mean they lacked faith? They did exactly what Jesus told them to do, they were obedient. There was a key phrase that Jesus said at the beginning. Let us go to the other side. The word of God spoke. Let us go to the other side. If the storm comes, we're still going to the other side. If this ship sinks, we're going to go through the other side, through the bottom of the sea. If Jesus says we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. And that's what they missed. And that was where the faith element was in question here because they missed what he said And then began to operate in their own power when things went sideways and didn't believe they were really going to make it. But all along, Jesus knew they were going to make it because he had already said, we're going to the other side. And they exposed what had been there all along. See, sometimes when we get in the middle of a storm, we don't realize what all God is doing. And we will forget the words of God about the character of God and about what God is doing in our life that He has promised to do. We will forget promises. For example, we will forget the fact that because God loves us, He now declares and He calls us His children. When we come to Jesus Christ by faith, we are now called sons and daughters of God. He, he declares it so. So as a son of God, I know God loves me and God is going to correct me and God is going to accomplish things in and through my life. Oh, Let's just hear some. I know that in Romans 8, God is going to work all things together for good, not most, but all things together for good in my life. <clears throat> Why? Because I love God, it says, for those who love God and for those who are the called according to His purpose. I know that God has called me into relationship with Him. I know He's working His purpose. I know that God will never leave me nor forsake me because He promised that. So even though I may feel alone, I'm not. I know that God is in the business of conforming me into the image of Jesus that I would be like Him because He promised He would. I know that God will never allow more than I am able to bear. No temptation will be more than I can handle because God promised He wouldn't allow more than I could bear. And I also know that God is going to complete the work that he began in me because faithful is he that will do it. And he would, he would cease to be God if he f- failed to fulfill that promise. So if I know those things, I know that this storm is not designed to ruin me. This storm is designed to conform me and to lead me to Jesus into an intimacy with Jesus where I experience his grace For every color of temptation, there's a color of grace to match. We also get to see something else. We get to see Jesus do the impossible in those moments where, quite frankly, there is absolutely no reason for you to be at peace in your life when you look at the chaos. But God does something amazing with His followers. Christ's followers have a peace because of the Holy Spirit of God's indwelling in you. You have something that's unique and very special. And that is a peace that passes understanding. And God knows exactly the salve that needs to be put on the wound to apply the peace in, a perf- in that moment. Because we know the prince of peace. We also get to see Jesus having the power and authority because he's sovereign as God. That he can reach into the hand of creation and, and he can calm a storm. God can reach his, his strong, powerful, righteous right hand into any circumstance we plead out to him, and we see God do miraculous things that only God can get credit for, and that's what the disciples got to witness. Well, the fact is, they feared exceedingly before. And I love the list to the end of this. They were afraid. Jesus asked him, why are you so afraid? How is it that you have no faith? Now he calms the storm, and then they, he said, well, then they feared exceedingly and said to each other, well, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so now they go from being afraid of the storm to now their fear is for the Lord himself because they recognize he's God and he can control even the weather. Wow, he's the one to follow. And so now they've turned their fear from the circumstance to the fear of following the Lord himself. That's a safe place to be. That's what brought the peace. It wasn't just the peace of the storm. It was the peace of the soul. And so now, this morning, as we as we conclude here, I want you just to consider something. First, are you in the middle of a storm? And if you are, I want to pray over you because storms are terrible. <laughs> storms are terrifying because you're not sure if you're going to make it. Storms are, make it hard to see clear what's what's going on in my life and other people's lives, and I don't. And it's difficult sometimes in our relationship with the Lord. And why is God allowing this? And we will ask those kinds of questions. And is so I want to pray with you today if you're in the middle of a storm. But I also want to encourage you today to lean into the Prince of Peace, the one who totally understands the storm and who also knows the other side. He knows the last word of the sentence of the rhyme. He totally gets it. And he totally understands what you're going through right now to the intimate detail of even how you feel in it and is leading you to the space here, dispensing the right grace right now to to put the medicine on that wound or on that tribulation or that trouble. To just lean into Jesus. And maybe in this room today, there's maybe somebody that doesn't know the Prince of Peace. This all just sounds too good to be true. It's because maybe you don't know Jesus yet, the Prince of Peace, who can calm the storm of life and calm the soul of, and calm the storm of your heart, even. Well, how does he do that? Because he's God. Because he went through the great tribulation paying our sin debt on the cross of Calvary. And resurrecting from the grave alive, he has overcome the world. And he has also overcome death. Therefore, there's nothing to fear. And we can trust him. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Let's bow our heads and pray. In a moment, we're going to observe the Lord's table, which is really so special because we get to fellowship with Jesus at his table. Lord, this morning, I want to pray, Lord, asking God for you to calm the anxious heart of maybe someone here in the middle of a storm. That, Lord, you would lead them to a spot here where they would see today, oh, I need to just cry out to Jesus. And and they would find complete dependence and hope and security in you in the middle of a storm. And I pray also, Lord, for those that maybe today are ministering to someone else that's in the middle of a storm, that, Lord, you would supply the great comfort or where we've been comforted, words of grace, words of hope, just a warm and friendly hug. Sometimes it's just to sit alongside in tears. But, Lord, that we, as your people, would be great ministers of peace and hope and comfort in the middle of a storm. And certainly, Lord, I pray, asking you today to stir up the heart of maybe someone that's not a Christ follower yet, but in this very moment, they would learn to trust Jesus. They would, by faith, recognize Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died for their sin and yet rose again from the grave alive. And he can be trusted because he conquered death and he's conquered hell. And so, Lord, I pray that in this moment, Lord, you would just forge in our hearts a great peace, no matter what the storm of life might look like. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.